Thinking Aloud, conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with parapsychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. Our topic today is living a psychic life. My guest is Marla Fries, who has spent 25 years as a successful television and stage actress. In addition, she has been co-host with Whitley Strieber in his Dreamland radio program. She has appeared in teleconferences with physicist Tom Campbell, author of My Big Toe, toe meaning theory of everything. She works as a psychic medium, appearing in cities and towns across the United States, presenting messages with Marla to small and large groups, educating people about intuition and connecting them with their deceased loved ones. She is the author of American Psychic, a spiritual journey from the heartland to Hollywood heaven, and beyond. Once again, this is an internet interview, and I'll switch over now to the internet video. Welcome, Marla. It's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you so much, Jeffrey. It's wonderful to be here. I've had the you know, privilege of uh, watching you work. I've been reading your book. And when I think about the psychic life, wh one of the characteristics of your life, actually, that comes through very strongly is that uh, you've had to endure all kinds of ordeals uh, involving, I have to say, pain and suffering. And I think to be honest, I think it's like opened up your heart to make it possible for you to be more effective in the work you do. I think you're right. I think that all of that pain and suffering um, actually heightened my sensitivities. So, in the heightened of the sensitivities, I had to find a way to boundary that, to control it, con to contain it. In the process that you had some natural gifts to begin with, although I, I know there's a lot of research that suggests that many people who come from homes with alcoholic parents, which you had to endure and uh, abuse as, as a child, uh, a great number of people who report psychic abilities come from that kind of a background. And it, it seems as if the, the trauma of the external world forces you to go more deeply within yourself. Well, that's an interesting point. You know, it was actually Joe McMonagall, Memoirs of a Psychic Spy, when I read his book and actually interviewed him when I was on Dreamland with Whitley Strieber. It was his book that made me think, okay, I can write mine. So I had been in the process of writing it, but that's what, that's what Joe had to say. He talked about his mother and that gave me more permission. But there's something really odd about that whole thing. I'd say that I'm not sure if I went inward because I was always going outward. You know, some of the dissociation, like they talk about in, in psychology, the dissociation of splitting or leaving your body was sending your consciousness out someplace. 
because I was trying to get away. I guess you remember in the book where I say I, I prayed to be rescued by aliens at one point, but I was basically looking for some sort of safety outside of myself. And I put myself into the church and all of that. So the inward work didn't happen until the mid-90s. And I think that Tom Campbell would say to me, you know, the physicist and consciousness expert, he'd say that, Marley, you were always reaching out into that LCS, the larger consciousness system, and bridging that. So I thought that was a really interesting way of, of, of coming to this whole work, because I was highly skeptical of it, as you know, so... And there's a point at which the outside and the inside uh, kind of merge. Uh, I remember uh, one of my mentors, Gene Houston, used to have us uh, on occasion do this little chant, which goes, uh, I'm in the middle of it. It's in the middle of me. I like that. I love Gene Houston. That's, she's wonderful. That's terrific. Yeah, Gene Houston had a, a big influence on me yeah, in um, – Go, oh, going back uh, 40 years or more, uh, I, I've been very inspired by her. Uh, I, in fact, I suppose if I had to name all of the different influences on, on my life and, and work in parapsychologist, uh, parapsychology, Gene would be, uh, you know, in the, in the top three people who have probably influenced me. That's wonderful. And you know, I love just sitting and listening to her. I was uh, a part of um, an incubator group with her, women and Claire Zamet. And I love just listening to her. She's such a wonderful storyteller. Well, you've become quite a storyteller yourself. Your book is just full of stories. And as I read the reviews of it, many people commented on uh, what an excellent wordsmith you have become. <laughs> Well, that's kind, I guess. That's very kind. Let's talk about um, contact with the deceased. That it seems to have sort of almost forced itself on you. Uh, deceased individuals kind of clamor to uh, when I think when they recognize that you might be an available medium. Well, remember, I did not believe in this. I had a real attitude about it. I was really highly skeptical. So when it started with me, it was something that I, I really had to investigate. It was one of those things that pushed itself on me. And of course, it was during a heightened state of awareness about being stalked by someone. So that particular idea of it happening was shocking. I was like, what is this? It wasn't the same kind of guidance that I had had kind of as a child. You know, we developed that voice, right? There's a voice inside of us. So I had listened to that for a, for a number of years, just giving me guidance along the way. But this voice had a completely different personality. So when it happened and it started revealing itself, I I really shook it. I shook it off. And it was one of those things that I needed help. And I, I was given help one thing after another from James von Prague to, of course, the U.S. military psychic spies that helped me make sense out of all of this. But, you know, Jeffrey, the, the dynamic of accessing the d database or the Akashic records of deceased loved ones has, has been the greatest gift of my life. Well, I, 
know there must be a huge sense of joy when you are able to actually make a, a connection like that. And I gather that people feel it emotionally. They, they break down in tears because uh, not so much the content that you're providing, but there's something else you could say, a vibration that they connect with. You know, that's, that's a wonderful way of saying it. I think that it's like we're building a bridge for love and that vibration of love continues after death. But I'm still learning a lot about the other side. Um, I've, I've learned within the, oh my goodness, this has been going on since the mid nineties, but I understand now that the need that deceased loved ones have to speak to their loved ones is often about cleaning something up, an apology. I mean, I've had perpetrators apologize to their victims in sessions where no one ever expected anything like that. And just to have that opportunity to hear what we've always wanted to hear, which is an apology, right? Sometimes that's really necessary. So that can bridge more love. But I really think it's understanding that we aren't alone, that there is still some system that allows us to be in communication, that we can access them, that they are learning and watching us grow. And in turn, that helps them too somehow. It's, it's amazing. Mm -hmm. I love the word that you have uh, for this system, thems. Yes. Thems. Well, and that came at a very stressful time. I was getting divorced and all my friends were saying, well, what's, what's God saying? What's Jesus saying? What are your angels saying? What are your ascended masters saying? What are the, what are your guides saying? And I said, oh, thems, <laughs> you know, oh, thems. And then I heard, well, Marla, if you're going to use an acronym, you better understand what it means. The heavenly eternal messaging system. You know, what's really special about that is it sort of cuts across all cultures. Yes, it does, doesn't it? <laughs> it integrates all the, all the belief systems, right? I think that's wonderful. Yeah. And, and I imagine now you've been working professionally doing psychic work for a long time. Uh, you probably are exposed to people from many different cultures and you, you need to have a way to, uh, speak to them in a language that, uh, is, uh, that they can hear and receive. Well, you know, I, I don't have the education around a lot of these systems that you do, but I was born in a small town in Pennsylvania where there were Oh my goodness, I'd say 12 churches within three blocks of each other. And I, I was immersed in that, um, that system. And then I stepped into a born again system. I went from Lutheran to born again. I was going to do anything I possibly could to, you know, save myself from my mother. So I wanted to put the Bible and Jesus and everybody between us. But learning that, learning about the nature of Christianity, was a fundamental experience of um, knowing that this Christ consciousness was, wow, how can I say it? It's the system that all religions have. They just call it differently, something different, right? So I, I love calling it all of the things that, that we do, but 
we're we the royal we we're still educating ourselves about that whole dynamic it, i mean anytime you travel you see it right well one of the things i observe watching you is that you seem to have enormous trust at this point when when you're getting a message for a particular person it can be very risky to come and tell people uh, i have a message for you i've had uh, people do that to me on numerous occasions, but some of them were like dead wrong. Mostly they're useful messages. But, you know, I had a, a fellow who thought of himself as highly psychic who uh, over 30, 40 years ago told me I had syphilis. I had to do something about it. And <laughs> nothing could have been further from the, the truth. And so you take a risk. When, when you tell people that, you know, you're getting some information, uh, but you've really learned to trust it. Well, Jeffrey, I think that um, there's an enormous responsibility when it comes to giving someone information, but I don't go where I'm not invited. You know, it's not about me trying to impress somebody about my psychic abilities. It's literally an opportunity to share information for someone's highest good. And that's, that's the only reason. I mean, why do this in any way? I mean, there has to be, there has to be a merit of helping someone see probability factors as a psychic. Also, um, assisting people in seeing things that they don't see, but then they start to think about the fact that they could possibly see them themselves. So working with me is always an opportunity for people to be curious about their own intuition. I think that's what happened to me years ago. Uh, I write about seeing Sonia Choquette for the first time. We were both 25 at the time, and it was in Chicago. And it was the first time I went to see a psychic. And I was so moved by what she saw, not just psychically for me, but it was as though something happened inside of me with her seeing me. It was that reflection that sort of like, I, I like to say flipped on a switch, some sort of switch that gave me permission to truly be who I guess I was supposed to be at that time. Of course, that was, that was in the early 90s and my, my whole awakening didn't really start until the mid 90s. But I think that there's a responsibility and, um, I, I guess it's just, you know, you learn to do it. And you do it in a way that is helpful as opposed to, you know, that syphilis thing really bothers me, Jeffrey. <laughs> I'm just, I'm sorry. I'm like, do you think that was projection or something? <laughs> I, I, you know, I don't know where that came from, but, uh, I, I just suppose that this person had some sort of a, an ego, uh, attachment to being able to say things of, of that sort. I haven't been in touch with that individual for decades, so I don't know, uh, what's become of him. Well, you know, medical in, medical information is, um, is prominent, very prominent in a lot of the work that I do, but I'm very careful about um, seeing it in a way that is helpful. You know, there was a, a woman a couple of years ago that was in the business with me when I was working as an actress, and she used to do hair and makeup and also wardrobe, and she wanted to come see me. And when I saw her walking down the hallway to me, I heard stroke. And I thought, okay, well, 
we'll see, we'll just massage this. And we sat down and I said, you know, I'm, I'm really interested in your history with, with your vascular system. So can we talk about that? And she of course had it in her, in her history. So we discussed that. Mm -hmm. And then I said, well, when was the last time you had, you know, a test? And she said, oh, well, it's been on my mind. And I said, it's probably a good idea to do that. So five days later, um, a friend of hers calls me and tells me that she had just gone into the hospital. She had had a stroke. So within five days of that, but she was prepared. Actually, she even told me she had made um, an appointment to see someone about it. And she was, you know, you know, it was a day early that she had this experience. So just knowing that that was in her uh, wheelhouse at that time, just knowing that it was in her field, just getting her prepared for it as she, you know, graciously acknowledges me for just helped her out in that way. But when I heard it, you know, there's a way of finding our way through this. So when you started to open up, you, if, if I understand correctly, you, you began attending a lot of different workshops and seminars. Yes. Well, you know, when this really began, I had been watching television and I saw this guy with brown hair and a mustache and these really piercing blue eyes. And he was reading people's dead relatives in, in the audience. And I'm like, oh, that's a lot of crap. And my girlfriend called me and she said, I can't get together with you this weekend. We had made plans. I'm going to go see James Von Prague. And I said, is that the short guy with the mustache and the blue eyes? And she said, yeah, well, I'm watching him right then and there. And I think the point was, she said, well, he'll be around, he'll be around the corner from you in a couple of weeks. So I went to see him. And of course, I had an attitude and I tried to put my investigative reporter aside. And I went in and the evening was so it was profound. And I, I was just blown away. And I went home and got down on my hands and knees and prayed and asked to be shown what this whole psychic world was. And, you know, help me with the dead people, help me understand that. And I had a dream that lasted for four hours about the center, the center, the center. So my girlfriend called and asked me how I liked seeing James. And I told her about the dream. She said, well, that's really interesting. I'm best friends with his personal assistant. I'll call her. So I was in James's house just a day later. He too had been having that same dream. And he said, well, I guess you're going to Brazil with me because he was trying to build a center up here in Los Angeles, like the center that had been down in Brazil. And I did. I started traveling with him. And that was one of the most amazing things because I didn't believe I was a medium. So he put me in a class and he proved it to me. How did he prove it to you? Well, first off, I didn't have anything to lose because I didn't need to be right, right? So he mm. he put a blindfold on me. And I said, okay, well, you know, I don't know. I see this skinny woman with brown hair to her shoulders. And she's running around in a kitchen. And she's holding up a cake. And now she's handing me a box and she opens it and there's a tie in it. And then she's showing me her silver ring and saying, you know, two, two, there's two. And I said, I don't know what this is about. And I pulled the blindfold off and, and James said, so is there anyone here in the room that this makes any sense to? And an older man stood up and said, yeah, that was Mary, my wife. 
We have our rings made out of the same piece of silver. She gave me a tie every birthday. It was kind of a joke. And yeah, she gave me a cake every birthday too. Wasn't very good. She was not very good cook. But I loved her. I loved her so. So that was it. I went, wow. If that is possible, if that's what I can help people do, how how wonderful. Now, a lot of people would be frightened if they discovered this ability all of a sudden. Well, I was. <laughs> I really, I was concerned and I went to see lots of people. I mean, I saw clergy and therapists. You know, I started going to a therapist to make sure that I was okay. But I talked to a lot of different people about it. And the more I talked to people, the more people showed up. I mean, working with Von Prague was really quite, quite amazing. I met Brian Weiss and all of those um, really terrific people in that time were just one after another. And Brian's, you know, you've, have you ever had him on the show? No, I have not. Well, he's, he's quite amazing. You know, his story, he's mm-hmm. basically the father of, of past life regression. But yeah. Brian is, is really remarkable and helped me understand some things. He and his wife I met on a, on a boat to Ensenada, uh, Mexico, and I really had no interest in that work at all. I was there to see a psychic detective because I was really interested in law enforcement at that time. But I had a, I had a miraculous experience, Jeffrey, that transformed everything about making a decision to come back here at this time, in this place, in, in other words, a decision, you, you got in touch, if I'm hearing you correctly, with the decision you made to be born at this time and place. And I remember, you know, I had a, a memory of having mm-hmm. been here before, but I was also not really willing. I was sort of, you know, I begrudgingly signed my papers and I came here. But that, What's remarkable about that is that just a few months later, I was on the set. I was working as an actress still, and I was on the set of Everybody Loves Raymond doing a guest starring role. And I walk in and I start working with the, with the AD and start setting up. And there's the woman that runs to me and she said, I dreamt of you last night. I dreamt of you. You must do your work. And then she's put paper down on the table and she drew what I had actually seen in my past life regression. She showed me the United States and all of this light and all of these pinpoints and all the things I had to do. And she said, I don't, I don't know. I just am here to tell you. And she didn't look too crazy. So I took her seriously, but to have that past life regression validated on the set of a sitcom. (laughs) But you know, it's very interesting because uh, I'm going to assume that you chose your present life. And I know looking at you right now, you are a happy, fulfilled person. But you had an alcoholic father. You had an abusive mother. Uh, you had uh, difficulties uh, in in personal relationships, a failed marriage. You were raped. That You, you talk about all of these things that normally, if, if I was going to choose my next lifetime, those would not be high on my list. Well, um, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. That's what Nietzsche said. 
Yes. Well, maybe I'll embody Nietzsche the next time around. Um, well, uh, yeah, all of those things I believe came out of, well, you know, I call my book American Psychic and the American part is truly about my father and the history of our forefathers and the dynamic of war. I mean, I don't talk a lot about this, but the Americana that I grew up in, in the 60s and 70s, it was martinis and men that were trying to medicate their wounds, their emotional wounds from World War II or Vietnam or Korea. And I lived with this every single day. And I, um, I dearly loved my father, but he was incapable of really being able to reach anyone emotionally. He was just, he was challenged in his own way, being um, a farmer um, from a dairy farmer, actually from Mercersburg, Pennsylvania. And he grew up in on the farms and everything, but his ability to understand women or other things was, was challenging for him. So I was always waiting for something to happen with him, but there was a part of me that wanted to pull it out of him, you know, and my mother was um, not well. And she was also codependent in needing something and she did not drink, but you know, she popped pills and watched her soap operas. So, and she was really, really, um, challenged. And as I recall from your book, your mother was physically abusive to you. Yes. She, what would happen to her is she would get very worked up. Um, I had a sister that was 11 years older than me and there were things that were going on in my sister's life that my parents couldn't handle. And at a very young age, I, I recognized that my mother would handle her upset by taking her rage out on me. It happens to a lot of children, I'm sure. Yeah. And I think that once I realized that, and I think I did it at a young age, that I was kind of in trouble, um, I made, I made my world the woods and, and animals. And I also saw that my mother loved the television set. So if I could get into that television set, maybe she would love me and not hurt me. So that's what led to your career in, in television. It's exactly what led to that career. Which turned out to be a good thing for you, I believe. Yes, it was. It was really great. I had a lot of fun and, you know, I worked a lot. It was great fun and I made good money. But I reached a point, especially when all of this work started happening, that I didn't need or want to pretend anymore. So in 2002, I, I had just done Everybody Loves Raymond. And then I did, or, or excuse me, it was 2001. Everybody Loves Raymond. Then, um, it was the Drew Carey show. And I walked off that set talking to the director who was, um, who had also directed me in, uh, Married with Children. 11 years earlier. So I basically had come full circle. And it was that day that I decided I would leave. So I, I left in 2002. 
So for the last 18 years, you've really been working full-time doing the psychic work that you do. And you've also worked uh, occasionally uh, with law enforcement? Yes. And that's, you know, that's all pro bono. That was Mm -hmm. being called in and working on something. And I loved that. It was tricky. I worked with Lynn Buchanan. Um, Lynn Buchanan trained me. And I... I love him so much for, for many different reasons, but he, I also think that I missed my, um, missed part of that. I would have loved to have spent more time in the remote viewing world. And of course, map dowsing, which, which, um, which Lynn really feels I have a, a, a strong talent in. But as life takes us away from different things, I fell in love and then I got married. So I took a break from working for law enforcement in that way, but then continued, you know, when people would call me, it was all pro bono. And I, mm-hmm. I loved that work, but um, I had to make a living. It's very difficult for most people. It would be incredibly difficult for me, and I have a degree in criminology, to enter into the mindset of a perpetrator. I, uh, even, even though I've done group therapy with, uh, murderers and rapists when I was in San Quentin, I, you know, I maintained my own boundary. I didn't really enter into their consciousness, but I'm under the impression that, uh, you and other people who do this kind of, uh, work with police sometimes find yourself reliving crimes, uh, from the viewpoint of the perpetrator. Yeah. Um, if they're dead, it's a lot easier. If they're living and you're tracking them, it's tricky because the, I think the, the nature of working on a case is wanting to be helpful. So you're hoping that the information that you're giving to, you know, a detective or an agent in some way is going to make sense enough for them to do something about it. You know, it's not like John Smith is down at the local, you know, brewery at 265 Oak Street. It's not like that. But, but yeah. the, but the pieces of it do come together. Um, and there have been a lot of wonderful, you know, talented psychics that, um, you know, had problems in some way. Um, and yeah, I had my, I had my share of it, but to actually be able to do it and to make a difference. That's what, this is the only reason to, to work with law enforcement. You just want to make a difference. It's not about solving it. It literally is. I'm going to show you something that you didn't think of. And my sense is, Marla, that uh, a lot of people who do psychic work tend to have a specialty. They'll be, for example, a a medium and connecting people with deceased loved ones, or they'll do business consulting, or they'll work with law enforcement. I'm under the impression that you're pretty much a generalist in in that regard, that uh, your talents seem to be available to you to work in many different directions, depending, I think, on the need. Yeah, thanks for seeing that. Yeah. Um, yes, I just worked uh, the last couple of months with uh, realtors and friends looking for houses and walking in the house and knowing that this is a problem and that's a problem and, and seeing that there's a issue with the sewer system and, and, and knowing that it's going to roll out of escrow and then you're going to come back and put more money in, but don't do that because it's going to roll out of escrow again. So those kinds of, those kinds of strange little, yeah. Any any aspect of someone's life, Jeffrey, I'm I have the ability to tap in 
and and see probability factors, compromises. In your case, you're able to focus your mind on a particular problem area, uh, depending on the needs of your clients, and then uh, the information makes itself available to you, or you make yourself available to it. Um, that's an excellent way of putting it. Um, when I sit down to call someone, you know, someone that I've never met before, and I'm, I'm calling them, I don't use Skype. I just am on the phone. I, Even though I love seeing people, I don't want to be distracted by how cute somebody is or what they've got on the, the back of their wall or something. I just want to focus on the information. And um, I usually have a pattern that I can see before I call them because my intention and I, you know, McTaggart's work with intention, my intention is to really offer them information that will really help them if they want, if they can take it, if they'll do something with it. So I'll make notes and I will see, or I can feel what the nature of what's going on with them before I call them. So I will feel that and I'll write some things down and then we'll start and I'll just give a download right away for the first 10 or 15 minutes. And they're going, oh, that's exactly where I am. That's what I wanted to know about. And then something will come out of the corner, like um, what happened just the other day. I had a woman who did not expect that we would be talking about relationship that was coming. She wanted it but she didn't really know how to move forward in it. So, you know, I have a, a plethora of people that I'm sure that she could work with, but the nature of her heart is what was calling forth this. She might have wanted to know something about her business, which is easy to talk about, but it was really the nature of what her heart was needing. That's beautifully put. It reminds me uh, of... I have a, a dear friend, deceased now, who is very instrumental in getting me started doing this work that I'm doing on television, Carol Ann Dreyer, who uh, was a psychic to the stars back in the day, uh, introduced me to many of her Hollywood clients. And uh, we did a video with her in the original Thinking Aloud series. It turned out to be one of the most popular uh, videos of that series, and she called it Seeing the Soul. And, and that's my sense that, that you're doing something like that. You're, you're looking into somebody's soul and, and recognizing, uh, seeing, seeing them for who they are at a deep level and recognizing their need. Yeah, I, I'd like to think it's that way too. It is, it is deep. I mean, she really didn't want to actually hear what I needed to say. I mean, I'm not going to market myself like, well, Marla's going to give you not what you want, but what you need. So I'm just, <laughs> I have to be, um, I'm honest about that with people, but you know, we massage things and we always look at anything anybody wants to take a look at. But this is curious. I'm, I'm really, I really need to ask you how you have responded in your soul to doing the work that you're doing by interviewing and putting people like me out there. So what has that done for you? Well, I'll tell you the story, Marla, since you ask. Uh, 
I, I did this research. Uh, you know, I wrote a book called The PK Man about a person with incredible psychokinetic powers. He could raise storms and uh, cause lightning to strike and things. So uh, at one point, I took his training course and he asked me, well, what, what do you want to do with this ability? And I thought to myself, well, I don't really want to be like him you know, causing UFOs to appear and dr ending droughts and messing with the weather and power blackouts and things of that sort. Uh, I told him what I want to be is a communicator uh, about the esoteric psychic world to mainstream audiences. That was, that was, you know, deep in my heart, what, what I was called to do. And I've been very fortunate in, Shortly after I took that training program, within a few months, I launched the original Thinking Aloud TV series. And, um, you know, within a couple of years, we were out on the satellite and uh, being broadcast over more than a hundred television stations across uh, North America. So it, it happened beyond my wildest dreams. And I, I think there was a lot of psychic help in, in making it happen and synchronicities in, in making it happen. It, it's given me the sense that uh, I'm right where I'm supposed to be. Good. I love that. And you radiate that too. Well, I've listened to many of your programs. And it's exactly the joy that you you make that bridge between the person that you're working with. And then you bridge it out to the world. Talking with you, there's a resonance in you that solidifies something in me for me to be able to feel grounded enough to share that information. Well, I, I'm delighted to know that. Yeah, well, you have that resonance. Mm -hmm. I'm sure other people have told you that on some level, something like that too. You know, I... Look forward to a world in which everybody is able to access their talents the way you are. And in, in my own case, uh, I've had, I don't know, hundreds of wonderful experiences, but I don't really try to make them happen on demand. You know, I just accept them when they come. You know, the whole actress thing is kind of funny. I, I don't have a problem getting up and, and talking, but I would rather work than talk. Interestingly enough, I mean, you, you, you watched me work at the Applied Precognition Program. I so, so I did this little, I remember doing this talk and I'm like, oh God, I've got all this information in my head. And then I started relaying it to other people. And remember the guy that didn't want to raise his hand? I'm like, oh my God, I've got a, I've got a mail worker. There's someone's putting up the, um, the paneling in the, in the den. And I was giving details and details. And finally he's like, Okay, it's me. <laughs> I had been, do you remember that? <laughs> I've been going and going and going with this. So, um, and, you know, in a group like that, I'm all, I'm hoping that people are, are receptive or they wouldn't be there in the first place. So, you know, that's, that's a joy when people are receptive. You know, many parapsychologists do experiments, and uh, of the thousands of experiments that have been done in parapsychology, they, they are overwhelmingly statistically significant, but any single experiment is kind of iffy. Half the time, they don't really work. And, and when they do work, 
sometimes they're marginally successful, sometimes they're spectacular. So we look at meta-analysis and we see, you know, overall the results are astronomically significant. But in in your case, when you're dealing with clients, it's it's a completely different situation. You're you're not trying to publish papers, you're trying to address a human need. And uh, I would imagine each and every client expects you to be right on for them. T- tell me a little bit more what you what you mean about that. Give me an example. If I'm doing a parapsychology experiment, uh, the only need I have is to satisfy my own ego that I'm a smart experimenter. Maybe I can publish uh, somewhere. I get people to come in and and be subjects in my experiment. And then if, if they're successful, I might publish and maybe some of my colleagues will uh, reward me for that. I'm not responding to the human needs uh, of anybody. It's, it, I'm not dealing with anybody's health issues or romantic issues or financial issues or uh, uh, the needs of law enforcement. I'm Really, researchers are doing it mostly out of intellectual curiosity, uh, and that's not uh, a very strong motivation. That's why I think uh, experimental research in parapsychology uh, isn't uh, in general. There are certain exceptions. Researchers who are just extraordinary in their ability to get good results. But overall, parapsychology research is, uh, you know, it's statistically significant, but it's not something you would want to rely on. But when people come to to see you, they are relying on you. Yeah, they they are, and you know sometimes it doesn't work. There've been a couple of people, one you know, a couple of times a year when the connection is there's a desire, but I can even feel it on some level when I start to work with them. There is um there's a disconnect about them wanting specific information the way that they want it as opposed to how I'm delivering it. And um, I'll never forget, (laughs) I was working with a woman and I told her, okay, well, I see Bob and I don't want to talk to Bob. Okay, but (laughs) well, Bob's here right now, but I don't want to talk to Bob. Bob's the last person I want to talk to. And I said, okay, okay. Well, Bob is showing up because I don't want to talk to Bob. So it, it literally was like that. And I said, okay, <clears throat> so we can stop for a moment. What is it that you really want to look at? And she said, well, you know, I want to talk about this and this. And I said, but Bob is actually, I don't want to talk to Bob. <laughs> so I, you know, I said, okay, it's been within the first 15 minutes. And I, you know, if we are not connecting in a certain way within the first 15 minutes, I just send, I just send you your money back. So we're just going to end this. You know, we can't move forward because I can't get Bob out of here. I can't get Bob out of my consciousness because Bob needs to talk to you. But I do offer the opportunity. I basically say, listen, this is what Bob's telling me. He's talking about the time that you guys were on the train and that you missed, and you missed the, the time and how upset you got and how sorry he was about that. She goes, yeah, you know, it's probably my wedding or something like that. But it was so, it was so particular in what I wanted to share, but there was not, there was not a door that was open for that. Well, I guess that's uh, the ups and downs of the business you're in. 
well, the life of a psychic. So, and you can only imagine, you know, that my divorce happened because I knew things. Well, that, that makes sense. And I recall from uh, your book that you, you were, you got a, a message that you were going to need to end the marriage. Yes. Did you ever interview um, Joanne Parks from Max the Crystal Skull? It was no. Max, it was no. Max the Crystal Skull. Oh, yes, that's right. The skull spoke to you. Yes. Well, I was interviewing um, the Mr. the Crystal Skull's authors. They were in England, and I was interviewing them. And while I was interviewing them, I know, look, this is even weird for me, right? So while I'm interviewing them, I thought I hear, leave your husband, leave your husband, come see me. And I thought it was being like a really great radio host. You know, I'd, I'd just been starting to work for Whitley for, you know, a year or so. And I said, oh, I think this is really great. This is so funny. I think I'm hearing Max. And of course, um, the gentleman said to me, yes, Mala, Max loves to get a hold of people. And he loves to talk their ear off, but he tells them messages that will change them for the rest of their lives. And I thought, oh, this is crock. This is just a crock. Eight months later, my marriage was over. So the message, in effect, did change you for the rest of your life. Yes, it did. It, it brings up another question. I know that some of the people, especially who are spirit mediums, work with a spirit guide. And I'm under the impression uh, that you don't. Uh, have a particular guide who's responsible for all the messages that you deliver? I've gone through various incarnations of how to work and um, for years. I mean, I have plastic bins filled with yellow legal pads of taking notes, uh, sitting down, excuse me, not, um, it's not automatic writing, but I am actually taking notes, listening and, and saying, what do you want to show me? And various energies come in. But I've also learned the, the, the science about this, Jeffrey, which is really tapping into that database, the matrix of virtual reality. So there's a part of me that just goes straight to the source. In other words, you don't have a need uh, for a spirit guide to sort of be responsible for uh, what comes through. Well, you know, we all like friends on the other side, and we all we all we all need mm -hmm. those friends. But no, it, it's not working that way for me. However, mm -hmm. I am experiencing something really unique. Um, I've been going to bed at night and intentioning information that will help me about whatever's mm -hmm. going on in, in my life, or give me information about you know, what's happening in our world and, and how to handle it a little bit better. But Jeffrey, I've been jumping into other people's bodies. No. And I don't know whether they're alive um, or it's, it's I'm being shown like a, a precog of perhaps another life or, or just being in their bodies for a certain amount of time minus mine. You know, what I've learned with consciousness is when – when consciousness leaves the body, all of that, all the issues that were created from emotional and all sorts of different problems are left in the tissues. It doesn't necessarily mm -hmm. go with the dead person, but the memory of it does. You know, they will show me various things about that. But I've been popping into people's bodies and they're not my body. And I have been void 
of so- some of the um, some of the problems that I've had as Marla, whether um, I have an issue with my hair or or just an insecurity about something. I'm in these dreams like, wow, I feel amazing. I'm strong. I'm really curvy. I love my hair. My hair's amazing. And, but there were also parts of their lives that I was like, wow, this is a problem. I don't know. I, I see, I see Marla in this body, but can I help this person? And I make choices while that's going on. And then sometimes I'm out. So I find that very interesting. I would imagine that this is the kind of experience that many gifted novelists have when they're developing a character that they, they actually visit, uh, similar people. Yeah, I think that that's a really good point. I think that's why some of my former life as an actress was easy for me to, you know, um, tap into deceased loved ones. And one of the things that I love is one, one of the, I don't do it so much in going blind like I used to or as I write in the book. But when I'm getting information, sometimes I'll just go blind to my present circumstances and Mm -hmm. I am teleported or bilocated or my consciousness goes or the dead person gives me that information, which is not my memory. It's their memory. Mm -hmm. So that that's facile with me. And I really, really like that. But I think you're, I think you're really spot on about that. You know, scientists and all, and all sorts of creative people are always being visited in some way, giving downloads, you know, and scientists love to, you know, as you say, sometimes they love to, um, just immerse themselves in the ego of, oh, I developed this and I developed that. Who knows where Werner von Braun is giving all that information? Maybe he's coming in from the other side. Seriously, I think about that a lot. Well, your training as an actress was probably very good preparation for psychic work. I love in interacting with people, and I don't do that anymore on stage. And right now with COVID, it's hard to do except on a Zoom. So, Well, Marla Fries, this has been a delightful conversation. Your love for people and your love for your work comes through uh, clear and strong. Uh, so it's, it's a pleasure to be with you. I look forward to future conversations. I'm sure we have a lot more we could talk about. So thank you so much for being with me, Marla. Thank you so much, Jeffrey. And for those of you watching, thank you for being with us.